Hi, it's Marty here. Welcome to First Up. It's Rapa, Wednesday, the 22nd of June. Cornathan Rarere, aho. Coming up, Rapa MP Kieran McAnulty will this weekend attempt to be interviewed for a world record 26 hours. So he's going to join us for a live training session. We also visit New Zealand's first ever alcohol free bottle shop. And one of the doctors putting in extra hours to alleviate pressure on Middlemore Hospital's emergency department says it's not going to solve the fundamental problem of staff shortages. Incentive helps, but it doesn't magically bring up competent practice nurses, doctors and staff. There's a point where you sort of got to think about safety. Personally, if I start working past 60 hours regularly, it really becomes hard to carry on. No, my hi to my itine wiki ko matariki ko Nathan Rarere aho, and we begin this morning in Australia, where there are calls for new Prime Minister Anthony Albanese to intervene in the deportation of Julian Assange from the UK to the USA. And with me now, uh, high above in her broadcasting towers in Brisbania, is our friend and correspondent Pam Corkery. Morena Pam, how are you? And Kiora from Brisbania. Yes, not everyone knows that term. This thing about uh, Julian Assange, how likely is it that um, the Prime Minister will do something about the deportation? I would say he won't ignore it. It's like the 501 negotiations. An announcement takes time. Mm. And credible sources, I think it was leaked to the ABC, are saying the government is working behind the scenes with the US administration, you know, Biden the biker. Um, And uh, Albanese has always said enough is enough about the punishment for Assange. He said he didn't always agree with him. um, But, you know, this is too much punishment. He says he hasn't changed his position. And he said something across. Liked. He added that he would not be influenced by pressure from Twitter users. There are some people who think that if you put things in capital letters on Twitter and put an exclamation mark after it, that somehow makes it turn to happen, you know, and it is quite true. Julian Assange's brother, Gabriel, he wants the Australian government to speak out publicly against this extradition. He said it would force the U.S into a difficult position. And actually, that's quite right, because Australia is now quite a a fierce ally in the Pacific. So there we go. Who knows? But (laughs) I I, I believe they're working. The Assange family with the fancy kids' names there. Yeah, I know. They all have different surnames and things. Yes, yes, I would too after a while. I don't know. Call me Smith. I'm not Assange. Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's talk about this this horrible thing, this rape trial. Uh, the, The former Liberal Party staffer, why has that been delayed? And can you just remind us about the case but and tell us why, why is it delayed? I will do. It happened, and I will do because I care. Yeah. Um, in, in February last year, the Liberal Party junior staffer, Brittany, Brittany Hickens, alleged to media that she'd been raped by a colleague late at night in the Cabinet Minister's office after a function. She said she was very drunk. She was in and out of consciousness. She was found half-naked, still inebriated and disoriented in the early hours of the morning in the minister's office. Now, the accused, Bruce Lerman, after a huge period of police investigation, was finally charged with rape. 
a trial starting next week. He's pleaded not guilty. Now, this, there's been huge mucking around about this. Anyhow, they finally get a trial, and then star journalist, you know, she's a megastar, Lisa Wilkinson, who works on Channel 10, throws an incredibly stupid spanner in the works. She had interviewed Miss Higgins and won a Logie Award, which is a huge thing itself, for Best Interview on Monday night of this week. And when she accepted the award, the award, she gave a speech and left out the word alleged or the accused. So, of course, the lawyer says, hold on, that robs him of a fair trial. So now it's been delayed. Oh, my goodness me. It's a, look, the, the, she's oh. such a senior journalist, you know, and the, the Chief Justice, she said, I'm saying this through gritted teeth, that we were going to have to delay the trial because of that speech by Wilkinson. Oh, no, because she was feeling herself a bit too much on an awards night, and away she went. It, oh, goodness. It was me. incredibly vainglorious, the entire speech, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let, yeah. Let's jump across to uh, this one. A schoolgirl in Western Australia has pled guilty to a plot to harm her teacher, and this was originally attempted murder. Tell us about this kid. How old was the kid, and what was the plot? She was 13. She's a good student, she was described as, and became involved in this plot to murder her teacher. Um, she's now pleaded guilty to a lesser charge. The 14-year-old who did the stabbing, they'd stabbed, um, she's up on attempted murder. Um, but she's changed her plea this Tuesday, saying she had a, you know, a, a lesser role in the attack. Um, she was in charge of carrying the weapon, the 25-centimetre knife, into school because her friend, the senior one, the 14-year-old, was searched a lot. I mean, I love the lawyer for, this, uh, for the girl. She said she was a good student who achieved 90% um, grades in maths and 80% in science. This is out of character. Oh. Do you reckon aiding and abetting an attempted murder? Yeah. She said... She was never exposed to the criminal world or been in trouble apart from a shoplifting incident. Oh, she just um, fell in with a, with a bad crowd. It's that yeah, one. It's everyone else's fault, not our girl. <laughs> but they discussed the plot to murder the teacher over a long period on a messaging platform I hadn't heard of called Discord. And they, they looked up things like, where's the best place to stab a person to sever an artery? Mm. How many gas valves were there were in school and how they could set it on fire. Anyhow, mercifully, the teacher dived and just got a stab wound in her arm. Terrible. Give me uh, 45 seconds on why it costs yep. $25 million to put the Aboriginal flag on Sydney Harbour Bridge. That doesn't sound right. No, clairvoyants in the Northern Hemisphere are saying, what the? And it set back what is becoming a growing support for Indigenous people in Australia. I mean, they're re-looking at it now. Um, and and Perite, the Premier in New South Wales, they said, yeah, really, it doesn't seem to pass the pub test. You know, the, of course, social media has gone mad about the price. He should have known that sounded ridiculous. There's not some, some suggestions like, pay cash on the quiet, you'll get it cheap. It's ridiculous. Pam Corkery, thank you very much. Uh, there we are, out of Australia. Yeah, that old classic. Oh, let's let's get a bit of that going. Oh, yeah, now's not the time. It'll cost too much. Yeah, that one. Have a listen for that one in the future. It's an interesting one. Let's go to Europe now, where Russia has threatened Lithuania with serious consequences over a ban over transporting goods from the Baltic state to the Russian territory of Kaliningrad. Kaliningrad is bordered only by EU countries and has no land connections to the Russian mainland. So Russia, the country that just invaded its neighbour, by the way, says the ban breaks international law. The BBC's Joe Inwood has more. This is the battle for Severodonetsk, but from the Russian side. 
In the distance is the Azot chemical plant, said to be the last holdout of Ukrainian forces. A team from Chinese state television joined Chechen fighters as they tried to capture the destroyed city. We are very close to the industrial zone of the plant, the commander says, and we are confident that we will take control of it. But the Ukrainians say they are still fighting and have not given up on Severodonetsk yet. That's despite massive artillery barrages that have turned a once bustling city into a wasteland. The last day and night before were very hard. This night was relatively calm, but it is the calm before the storm. In fact, yesterday, the Russian army carried out offensive operations in several directions with lots of equipment and personnel. One of those directions was Toshkivka, just to the south of Severodonetsk, but the other side of the river Siversky Donetsk. These are Russian forces rolling through what is left of the town. The battle in the east is looking increasingly difficult for the Ukrainians, who say they urgently need more Western military aid. But they need diplomatic support as well. And that came from a rather unlikely source here in the capital. Hello, hi, sir. Really nice to meet you. Hello. Hollywood actor Ben Stiller, also a UN goodwill ambassador, in town to meet President Zelensky, was trying to keep this conflict in the public eye. Our news cycle goes so quickly that it's, it's, um, it's really hard to keep attention on these issues that maybe don't, direct us, uh, don't affect us directly, but they do have a, a, an effect on us overall. All the while, the destruction continues. This war is far from over, but there will be difficult days ahead. That was Joe Inwood reporting from Kyiv. Quarter, quarter past. Quarter past five, you're listening to First Up on RNZ National with me, Nathan Radade. Always keen for your feedback at uh, various times. We've got a story coming up later on about a non-alcoholic bottle shop. I don't know how that works. Um, so first of all, do you do you have in your possession some Claytons or do you know someone that has Claytons? And I'll tell you this, I used to work uh, here in Auckland City when I first moved up and we were in Caltech's house, an old building down there, and then during some of the renos, they pulled off a bit of the uh, the plasterboard, and there was a bottle of Clayton's that had been jammed in the wall for like a time capsule type thing, which was pretty neat. Um, anyway, Clayton's, is that still a thing to you? But also non-alcoholic beer. Non-alcoholic beer, because you can buy it right now. Is that, for you, is that a yes or is that a why? Uh, non-alcoholic beer. Would you, do you drink the stuff that tastes like the alcohol but doesn't have the alcohol in it? Uh, let us know, 2101, or email first up at rnz.co.nz. We'll go to the Middle East now while you're thinking about that. Israel is facing its fifth general election in less than four years after the collapse of the coalition government. Joining me now from Doha is our correspondent Alex Beard. Morena, Alex. Morning, Nathan. Now, I've just got to slip in, first of all, and say that at the supermarkets here, you can only get zero alcohol beer. And if you want to buy some booze, there's only one store in the entire country that sells it there, along with pork, and you've got to have a license. Oh, really? So, well, beer. Me. <laughs> the booze and pork shop. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Hey, um, tell us about why did this coalition disintegrate in, in Israel? Yeah, it has been quite a time for Israeli governments over the past two years. So we've had the fifth collapse of a government in just two years. You're going to have a fifth election. Now, basically, 
what Israel has had over and over again recently are really fragile governments. You know, we're used to in New Zealand having coalitions of two, three parties in government. This this latest government that just fell apart was eight parties big. So it was very fragile. And there was a vote which caused it to disintegrate. Basically, they were wanting to extend, well, there there was a vote to extend the laws of Israel to Israeli settlers in the occupied West Bank. And the occupied West Bank internationally is not part of Israel. It's occupied by Israel. But the Israeli government wanted Israeli settlers living there to be able to be under Israeli laws. And the vote didn't pass. And it caused the entire government to come crashing down once again. The governments have been swinging as unity governments, right wing, left wing. And once again, we're going to have another election in Israel. Oh, well, it's good if you're in the election business, I guess. Um, (laughs) uh, You mentioned there about the pork and uh, alcohol shop before, uh, about moralities and what have you. Saudi Arabia now saying rainbow-coloured toys are immoral. Oh, you know what? This is the message for Pride Month (laughs) in this part of the world. Anyway, that basically um, Saudi authorities have been going to shops that sell children's toys and anything. It doesn't matter what it is. Anything that is rainbow colored has been deemed as a symbol promoting homosexuality. And as most know, a lot of the countries in this part of the world operate under fairly strict, although things are starting to loosen up, but fairly strict versions of Sharia law. And, you know, pencil cases that are rainbow are out. Teddy bears that are rainbow are out. Funnily enough, the same thing happened here in Qatar um, earlier in the year. I, I saw a post from one of the authorities here on Instagram. And there were these little toys that kids get that are akin to kind of popping bubble wrap. But you can pop them over and over again. I know the ones. Happen- yeah, you know the ones. Now, they just happen to be rainbow colored. And it was like, no, no, no. They are promoting homosexuality to children. So. If you're anything rainbow-coloured in this part of the world at the moment, you're not having a very good time. What 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 are the actual rainbows? How do they make them look more butch? What are they? Yeah, are they just one <laughs> colour? Paint it grey. Yeah, grey. Make it have that. <laughs> People running out. Don't yeah. look at that. Don't look at that <laughs> thing up there. Hey, um, new research shows us this is horrible news, and probably not not that surprising when you consider where they live and what they're living through. 80% of children in Gaza are suffering from depression. I'm actually wondering if the more amazing stat is that 20% aren't. Yeah, so this is a report from Save the Children. And for those who aren't quite around this, Gaza is in the very south of Israel. It's a Palestinian territory, but it's been under a blockade now for 15 years by both Israel and Egypt. You basically, you can't get in, you can't get out. Life there is pretty miserable. And this new report that's just come out As you said, 80% of children are suffering some form of depression. Three out of five are self-harming, and more than half have contemplated suicide. So that really just sums up to you how pretty awful, to be honest, life is in Gaza for children. And the, the report made the point that, you know, this blockade has been going for 15 years. And for most kids, you know, most of these kids are under 15. This is the only world they've known. They've known a world where they can't leave the country, where supplies are running in and out, where sporadically there are bombs dropped on them from Israel. So it's a pretty tough time to be a kid in Gaza. Yeah, horrible, horrible. And uh, quickly, before we jump out of here, these two have had tensions for ages. Uh, What's the latest in rising tensions between Turkey and Greece? Yeah, it's an ongoing story with Turkey and Greece when you look back far enough. So basically, there are some 
islands in the Aegean, and the Aegean Sea is the sea that separates Greece and Turkey. And, and quite a few of them are disputed, and Turkey has accused Greece of gradually militarizing a lot of these islands. And then the Greek prime minister was just in the United States. And bear in mind, Greece, the U.S., and um, Turkey, they're all in NATO. But Greece went to the U.S. and said to, I think it was in a, in a speech to Congress, actually, said, stop selling weapons to Turkey. And the, the Turks came out, the Turkish ambassador came out and said, you know what, we're just going to stop talking to you. Actually, it was, it was the president of well, he said, you know, we're just going to stop talking to you. We're done with this. So tensions that are at an all-time high, this is part of, you know, we, we're not, it's not too far from Ukraine either. So we, we at times here, are looking at almost open conflict between these two. And I think it would be the last thing that anyone would want for, for things to inch towards war. But there are times here, times between Greece and Turkey, where it looks like that's increasingly possible. The rhetoric's really high between the two. NATO has said openly, the head of NATO has said, you guys need to calm down. You need to sort out your differences. We're all in the same military alliance. But it hasn't done much to quell tension, so it'll be interesting to see how things here progress. No, it's been going back to the days when they used to sneak stuff in and wooden horses. Thank you very much, Alex Beard, who joins us every week from Doha. Before we get to 6 o'clock today, here on First Up on RNZ National, you're going to hear about a very, very long interview and a shop that's an alcohol shop that doesn't sell alcohol. There you go. That's all coming up. It's the 22nd of June. A happy birthday to Cindy Lauper. Yes, the We Are The World singer, born Cynthia and Stephanie Lauper Thornton turned 69 years old today. This week on Trade Me, if the Kardashians lived in Christchurch, they would be well interested in today's property listing. And uh, actually, it's electric vehicles that are leading the pack this week with Trade Me's Ruby Topsand telling producer Jeremy Parkinson about the latest in EV trends. Yeah, there's certainly some changes going on. So last month, the average price of an EV on-site dropped by 18% on the month prior and it's now sitting at $39,800, which is still obviously quite a lot for a lot of Kiwi families, but there are cheaper options, and it is interesting seeing that drop. I mean, you can pick one up from 10 to 15K, which, yeah, still, you know, still is quite a lot, but you do save money, obviously, and other ongoing costs. But really what we're seeing here is that EVs are being made more accessible as those older models enter the second-hand market and more options become available, as well as the government schemes making it quite lucrative. To own it. And then in terms of EVs listed on site, we also saw a 50% increase in the number of EVs listed on site last month when compared with the same month in 2021. So that's really showing the markets changing there as well. And then on top of that, 52% increase in watch lists year on year, which is really no surprise with more and more Kiwis looking at their EV options. Yeah, especially with petrol prices on the rise, I guess people are looking at those options, watch listing in the hope that they snag a bargain. But I guess uh, bargains probably aren't the word at the moment, especially with worldwide demand for electric vehicles probably up as well. That's right. And right now we are looking at about a thousand EVs on site. There's also six thousand hybrids. So there are a lot of options and there are something for everyone and, and it's nice to see that they're becoming a little bit more accessible as time goes on.
Yeah, I'm waiting for the uh, the time where converting your older car, your classic car, into a EV uh, becomes accessible, and that that will help happen eventually. And I think probably Trade Me will be where people go to buy those too, and um, yeah. conversion kits and that sort of thing. So maybe that's yeah, something I can to see look you in out an for. an EV combi, Jeremy. I, look, I can see myself in an EV combi every day of the week. Um, yeah. <laughs> Next up is a signed All Blacks jersey fundraiser. Who's this uh, raising money for? So this one is a great auction. It's raising money for the Surf Lifesaving Club in Karia Otahi in uh, the Auckland region. So that wild um, weather on the west coast has taken its toll on their 50-year-old clubhouse there. And it really needs a bit of love. So so the club's doing all that they can over winter to raise the money to get it up and going in time for next summer. The, yeah, the, this signed All Blacks jersey, which looks to be the 2019 squad, is currently sitting at... $666 uh, with 20 bids but with a week to go and, and what we've seen historically with all Blacks uh, jerseys we expect that to, to certainly reach a higher price than that and also with noting that they're going to be uh, listing a Black Ferns jersey separately later on so keep an eye out for that one and, and they've got a goal there of $300,000 so everything helps and, and there's lots of ways to get involved it sure does. So have a have a look for that one on Trade Me. The Surf Lifesavers do a great job over summer and probably spend most of the winter raising money um, <laughs> just like this. Um, next up, uh, property-wise, is straight out of the Kardashians, uh, 370 Papa Nui mm. Road in Christchurch. This is a little bit different, not my kind of deal, but um, if you're Kim Kardashian, I think you'd like it. Yep, Christchurch, Kim Kardashian. It's it's quite something. Eh? It's, it's got that European feel, if you will. You can certainly see why this one was featured in a nine-page spread in NZ House and Garden. And yeah, so the, the, the original building was, they basically overhauled the whole thing in 2016, included parquet flooring and lucite gold leaf finishes. There's a black and white kind of liqueur theme around the whole property and it is really quite something that alfresco dining area with the outdoor fireplace and the barbecue and the tiled floors it is really like quite out there and quite unusual for new zealand but hopefully this is exactly what somebody's looking for it's bling that's what this house is it's bling <laughs> it's very bling extremely bling that was trade me's ruby top scent Like sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life we call the 22nd of June and have done for quite some time. In 1633, the astronomer Galileo Galilei uh, was um, Galilei, sorry, uh, was sentenced to prison by the Roman Inquisition for teaching that the Earth revolved around the Sun. So Pope Urban VIII went, no, had him bought before uh, the Roman Inquisition. Uh, he was threatened with torture, and Galilee said, uh, Galileo said, okay, and he recanted. Uh, he was sentenced to house arrest for life, and publication for any of his works was forbidden. It didn't stop the Sun being at the centre of the solar system, so but there you go. Happy birthday to Arthur Wynne on this day in 1871. Arthur Wynne was born. He would go on to do great things, including inventing the crossword puzzle. He did that in 1913, so happy birthday to you. Originally, he called it the word cross puzzle, but when it went off to the typesetters, they were like, nah, they look stupid, and they called it crossword. So that's uh, what it is. The name is stuck. Also on this day in 1874, people went, I say, what is, what is Miles doing? 
why is he? And that was the game of lawn tennis had been invented, so that's what Miles was doing. I imagine it was a Miles. On this day in 1986, boy, if you think we don't shut up about the underarm ball, England football fans went crazy on this day. It touched his hand! They said as uh, Diego Maradona scored the hand of God, and that's the only goal they talk about in that game. The rest of the world talks about the goal four minutes later, which is called the goal of the century, and pretty much regarded as the greatest of all time in a World Cup match. But that was all happening on this day in 1986. In 1955, movie buffs, Lady and the Tramp came out. It was originally uh, based on Happy Dan the Cynical Dog by Ward Green. So uh, there you are, readers, if you like those. Cindy Lauper is 69 today, and Chris Christopherson is 85 years old. And that is the day of our life that we call the 22nd of June. Well, in the United States, this is interesting, the manager of a Californian petrol station has just been sacked after accidentally setting the price of fuel to 69 cents a gallon instead of $6.99 a gallon. So to convert the gallons into metric, because it's always quite hard when when you're here and you're there and also throwing in the New Zealand dollar, basically by putting the decimal point in the wrong place, he was now charging $1.10 for 3.7 litres of petrol instead of the $11.00 like he was supposed to. Uh, $1.10 versus $11, that's quite different. But if you thought that was bad as the queues uh, for cheap petrol got bigger and bigger and bigger, the situation somehow got worse. Here's Aaron Heft to explain. I couldn't believe it. Then I checked my bank card and then uh, I really couldn't believe it. Premium gas priced at just 69 cents. I just pressed it and then it just started working. Posting this video to Instagram, Daryl Sarita says he was shocked. He filled up both of his cars and extra tanks for his boat, over 100 gallons in total. So I posted the video on my Instagram because I felt like, well, I have a lot of followers. I might as well post it and let everybody enjoy it how I'm enjoying it. Cars lined up down the block. But this delight for many was one man's nightmare. 69 cents. He goes, yeah, the premium was set at 69 cents. And I'm like, oh, no. John Cezina says he was the one responsible for entering gas prices that day and simply got the decimal wrong. John says he was fired. He goes, yeah, you're probably going to be sued. And I said, oh, no. And he goes, yeah, so if anybody comes to your door and asks for John, don't answer the door because they probably got a subpoena for you. His family immediately started a GoFundMe, an effort to pay back the $20,000 the gas station lost in the several hours prices were wrong. And in just a few days, over $24,000 was collected. But there's an issue. John says he received this letter saying the company doesn't want the money. Later, that's when I got my memo you know, that said that. That they're not going to take it. Yeah, they don't want the money. They're not going to take it. We, you know, and you're doing this for the wrong reason. Over a thousand people donated, Sarita being one of them. I donated 160 to the GoFundMe and then uh, I posted on my page and I told people to share it. GoFundMe says that's not how it works. GoFundMe told KCRA if the gas station company does refuse the funds, we will require the organizer to post a clear update to keep donors informed. And the over $24,000 will be refunded. I think he should just keep it. I think he should spend it on living his life until he gets a job because it costs him his job, you know. Thankful, John says he's just happy to know good people still exist. So I'm still in shock, you know. And it's like, it's, it just makes me feel like, you know, there's good in this world, you know, and still, you know, it's worth fighting for. There we go. 
It's uh, 25 to 6 if you are listening live to First Up here in RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. Now, you might have noticed a growing number of alcohol-free alternatives to beer, wine and spirits appearing recently. A New Zealand company called Curious AF, no, it stands for alcohol-free, is taking things a step further, opening up the country's first ever alcohol-free bottle store. We sent our reporter Leonard Powell along for a chat with the founder Lisa King before it officially opens to the public tomorrow. After finding that drinking caused her to suffer unpleasant bouts of vertigo, Auckland's Lisa King decided to cut back on alcohol to see if it would help. It did. But when she gave up drinking gin and tonics, as she usually did when out on the weekend, she found socialising became a bit of a challenge. People would be like, why aren't you drinking? You know, what's wrong? Um, And then, you know, the options were really limited in New Zealand a couple of years ago. So it was either, you know, a Coke or a juice or a kombucha. And you felt like a kid, you know, having those drinks with your meal or while you're going out and kind of a little bit excluded from the social situation. Miss King thought it didn't need to be this way, so started researching alternatives to alcoholic beverages. This led her to launch her own canned cocktail brand, which mimics barroom classics including Dark and Stormy, Aperol Spritz and Cuba Libre. And tomorrow, she's opening a pop-up store in Auckland's Ponsonby Central. I stopped by ahead of the big opening. So we're starting with the cucumber GNT. Initially, AF was a range of gin and tonics because that was really my drink of choice. And I was really missing my gin and tonics. And so we've got a classic, you know, with lemon. But then people love their, like, Hendrix and cucumber. And so this is super refreshing. I can't convert. That is refreshing. What's in there, Lisa? I was looking at, you know, the alcohol-free spirits market and also all the other drinks that are available. And it was interesting that people would make a gin and then take the alcohol out. Same with beer and wine. And I thought, well, why put alcohol in in the first place? And so AS really crafted from just natural flavours. If you might feel a slight tingle or a bit of warmth building up, um, there's something in there also called Afterglow. And so it's a little botanical extract that kind of mimics the warmth of alcohol and it gives you that longer, lingering feeling and mouthfeel. The store will be open for the duration of Dry July and Miss King says a permanent store could be on the cards if people like it. So far, she says the majority of feedback to their products has been positive. You know, initially there were a few people that were like, what's the point? You know, why would you have a GNT without alcohol in it? Um, but the majority of the response has been really positive. I think coming out of COVID, people are definitely more mindful of their relationship with alcohol. Um, and the feedback we get is that people are going, oh, finally, thank God, you know, there is something that is great tasting as well. Um, that meets their needs and means that they don't have to drink all the time or they don't have to just stick with water or a soda. She's also collaborated with other non-alcoholic drink companies to stock the pop-up, with 36 different products including alcohol-free wine, bubbles, beers and spirits. It's been really great because I think we're all on the same mission, you know, and that's to give people really great alcohol-free alternatives and to reduce that need to have to have alcohol at every social event that we're um, going to. And so I think it's going to be really fun um, for people to come and discover what there actually is out there and be surprised by the quality and the variety of products. 
Dr Sam McBride, spokesperson for Alcohol Action New Zealand, says zero alcohol options are a great invention for people looking to moderate their consumption. For people who are in recovery, so recovering from addiction, sometimes you know um, it can be a bit of a trigger, a bit of a risk factor, but for the majority of people who are just wanting to cut down alcohol, you know, I think it's a very positive thing. And it provides, you know, kind of a range of options where people might traditionally lean for, you know, kind of alcoholic wine or beer. But is this just the latest fad? Or is there a sustainable market for these products? This isn't just about for people who aren't drinking at all. This is actually for everyone because there are always times we want to moderate a little bit or we might be driving or pregnant. So, um... I think, you know, there's an occasion for everybody to have alcohol-free drinks. Yes, uh, Leonard Powell with that report. We had quite a good discussion in, uh, here in the studio uh, during that one. Let us know your thoughts on alcohol drinks too. 2101, and also, have you seen a Clayton's? Um, I got to see one in the wild. Well, it was actually buried in a wall, but I got to see one and it was about 1993. It's the last time I've seen one. Let me know if you have. I'm Nathan Radity, and you're listening to First Up on RNZ National. Lucky you. Uh, we're going to speak very soon to a doctor who's putting in extra hours to alleviate pressure in Middlemore Hospital's ED. And also coming up, we're going to uh, be involved here. We're going to warm someone up. Wider Upper MP Kieran McAnulty as he heads towards, he's going to try a world record attempt this weekend, 26 consecutive hours of interview going on with just him so we'll give him a training session before we hit sick did you ever come across a Peyton, uh, a, a Clayton's there Pete yeah I seem to remember that remember those I do Does yeah. it, didn't it start out with a guy telling a joke like oh, and then the little one said now we can all get some sleep and they all kind of did a ha 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 Here's my Clayton's, and he does a little bit. Yeah, I think Clayton's became a sort of a descriptor of a lot of situations yeah. that were fake. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Thank <laughs> you very much. Yeah, it's Peter McElwain. He knows Clayton's. The professionals are morning of morning. Re- no, the professionals of RNZ are morning report. They're up after six. Uh, we're going to have a bit of a look ahead to what's happening on the show today with Susie Ferguson. I got there eventually, Susie. You did? Yeah. Well done. It must be something more in this water that, that I thought I had going on. Oh. It's been uh, it's been interesting. It set our little text line uh, alight today. I'll read some of that coming out soon. But the see so you you we, you wouldn't have been here for the Clayton's experience, would you? No, I just heard you talking to Peter McElwain there, and I was thinking, oh God, I hope I hope Nathan doesn't ask me about this because I think I've got a cultural gap coming up. <laughs> it basically, I think it was supposed to. I think it was whiskey, and it tasted exactly like whiskey, but it had no alcohol in it, which to me. I think we used to just call Benadryl or Vicks Formula 44. <laughs> really. But it was a little yeah. bit watery. Yeah. Okay. But there you go. But apparently quite popular anyway. What's happening, oh. on, um, what's happening on Morning Report today? We're going to be talking about uh, how just one of the 5,000 drivers caught by police uh, restricted, uh, breaking on restricted licences. Um, uh, this is the prosecution uh, number. I'm not saying this very well either. I've been infected by the same thing as you. <laughs> There were 5,000 drivers caught breaking restricted licences by police and just one of those 5,000 ended up being prosecuted uh, yesterday. Our reporter Phil Pennington's been looking into this one. Some pretty interesting stats on that. Mm. Also, of course, the health system remaining under considerable strain, especially Middlemore Hospital, we understand. We will be talking to the National Party's Christopher Luxon about this. Uh, Also, of course, jib boards, chronic shortage of plasterboard and a ministerial task force being established into that, which we will be hearing more about later on. And also 
of course, Matariki. It is Matariki Week and uh, it's being celebrated with uh, what sounds like a pretty stunning light display in the central city of Auckland. More on that and it's all coming up after six. Yeah, have a listen out for that one. Thank you very much, uh, Susie. Well, Auckland GPs uh, say they're getting burnt out as they pick up extra patients who've been unable to be seen at emergency departments. 27 clinics opened for free appointments in East and South Auckland at the weekend with County's Monaco DHB paying them $350 per patient to to help ease the pressure on Middlemore Hospital's emergency department. One of the clinics taking part is Papatoitoi Family Doctors, which is part of the health hub in Papatoitoi. One of the doctors there is Dr Carl Cole, and I asked him how the scheme is going. Oh, I think we're planning to um, actually be open longer this weekend. We often open Saturdays. We find the scheme, I think, a good acknowledgement of the fact that we need to I recognise the extra work. Most of our GPs are doing at least 40 to 50 hours a week, plus we're asking them to do more hours, and we're all doing extra work in the evenings around this surge. Um, it's been a very busy six months. March and April, we don't want to go through again with the whole surge of COVID and the PCR testing. And it's well known counties has only 8% of the GPs in the country, but 11.2% of the population with a high need. So we're, we're all stretched. Um, it's not just ED that's stretched. So um, it's a challenge to extend the hours when already working so much yeah. but this certainly helps us so do you know staff shortages are, are hitting every single industry do do you have enough staff at your practice to cope with the current patients we moved to a new purpose-built area in old papatari and um have attracted some very good staff and i'm quite lucky i think and we're very much focused on allowing patients to see their notes um expanding self-care to the maximum limit valuing the patient experience but, um, you know, the short answer is no, everyone's very short. The whole system is stretched and it's just a effect of the current situation, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So what sort of patients are, are you taking who would ordinarily have been to see an, an ED? Talking to my um, ED colleagues and um, I work half-time in other management roles and in a health informatics role. So I see a lot of you know classmates and colleagues who are orthopedic surgeons now and, and ED consultants. And it's, this is the funny thing. So we will see about 7,000 primary care patients a day in counties Manukau to the 400 on a busy day in ED. So the, the people we're seeing are not necessarily the people who are going to ED but do have urgent care. And there's a strong relationship, and Professor Diaz Gorman did a great use case at the recent GP conference about this, where patients not being able to see the condition or practice of their choice who know and understand their history and go into ED. So there's quite a strong relationship between that rather than the severity of illness, interesting enough. For example, we then know last week um, 87% of the people who presented to Middlemore ED with a flu-like illness weren't admitted and could quite easily have been seen and treated somewhere else. But there's a lot of other factors into why people turn up to ED. Yeah. Well, so it's good that you can take some of that, that load off them. And, and it's fair enough that you are compensated for it too. I mean, does the financial incentive, does that help? Well, it's very short term, isn't it? And yes, and, you know, people, gosh, if that was the early rate, wouldn't that be great? People were misunderstanding <laughs> the uh, actual overheads, the capital investment and the, and the costs of running clinics and then admin staff, plus you have to do the um, invoicing and practice management of, of things. So, you know, the, the bill you pay the, the plumber per hour is not what they get in the hand. So um, the incentive helps, but it, it doesn't magically bring up competent practice nurses and doctors and staff. Um, if we're already working to our full, it's, um, it helps compensate for working extra hours, but there's a point where you sort of got to think about safety, you know, um, 
personally, if I start working past 60 hours regularly, mm. it really becomes hard to carry on. Yeah, yeah. How's the system going to cope? Like, How do we stop this from happening every time there's an influx of ill people? Oh, look, there's, I think there's a lot of hope with the way we can organise things to be better, especially the way data follows the patient around so things aren't duplicated and aren't repeated. I think there's a lot of hope myself. I'm an internal optimist, but the, the new system is targeting a you know better patient experience and pathways where people do have their data follow them wherever they are in any care setting. So that means they can travel and not have to duplicate things that have been done before and things are organised and, and run in a more efficient way. I think, unfortunately, not for anyone's fault, but when you meet a new person who's very complicated, maybe in the 80s, got three or four problems and they've got a new symptom, it's very hard to get to the bottom of the problem unless you know them already or have data about their background or have someone you can safely pass it on to tomorrow. So everyone starts again and repeats a whole lot of things. So there's some efficiencies in the system we, we can build in in this new restructure. Right, but you're liking what you're seeing of the, the idea of the new structure. Oh, the principles and the idea. Yeah. Look, and I think everyone who's in health knows you know, what currently has been happening for the last five years isn't coping with the change we need to, particularly with the, the level of chronic disease in older people. The system is just not set up to work well and efficiently in a team-based way. It's harder to work in a team and communicate across these silos than it is to work individually, and, and then that leads to little information silos and, and things not being followed up. And just a lack of that situational awareness where someone's current clinical needers and so things get lost and, and fallen through the cracks for no one particular fault it's just the way the system is that's dr carl cole from health hub in papatoitui it is eight to six a torrent of um uh feedback has come in this morning about the non-alcoholic drinks i'll uh, get into them very quickly here before we hit our next guest alan in new plymouth says hi nathan i have a beer fridge full of non-alcoholic beer i'm one of them that can't just have one so i've made it easier to grab one of these ah i hadn't thought of that aspect of it thank you alan uh, for that here's an anonymous texter hi there i'm back home in bavaria for a month oh hello listening online that's great and all of uh and all my friends we're in our 50s drink non-alcoholic beer feels like the culture here is a bit of head of ours in new zealand i'm on board says a non t says is sexting the claytons of sex i guess so um here's another one phil and clearwater says yes i enjoy alcohol free beer heineken zero is tops uh jez says booze free alcohol is like making heroin out of rsa poppies ray says how are you supposed to get into proper fights if you don't uh, drink lots of alcohol makes no sense uh, another one uh, add here for another thing here for heineken zero it's great you never know it's alcohol free and i like this one here from ted uh, hi nathan i still own an un opened bottle of Clayton's I got for my 21st in 1986 I thought um, that I had the only bottle left in existence so I bragged about it on Facebook how wrong I was there were six others uh, that came forward to reveal they too had unopened bottles I was gutted that's from Ted in Dunedin I wonder about that if you've got a Clayton's bottle do you keep it do you dust it off and just have it in the lounge and hope that it catches some and I during a, during a dinner party go, oh, that's a Clayton's yeah mate it's Clayton's let me tell you about it you can tell us uh, anytime you like, 2101. Well, Wairarapa MP Kieran McAnulty will this weekend undergo the longest recorded interview 
ever. Yes, the government minister plans to be interviewed for 26 hours non-stop. He's going to beat the uh, Guinness World Record set by Sir Tim Shadbolt back in 2012. He makes the attempt in order to help raise money for Rural Support Trust. Now, this uh, trust works to improve the mental health for people in rural communities. Here at First Up, we're pretty well placed to uh, give a few pointers um, for getting up at un- just ungodly hours of the day. So we offered our services to Mr Kieran McAnulty, who will be doing an interview at, say, at some point at this time during the weekend. Uh, kia ora, sir, how are you? Yeah, kia ora, how getting on? I'm really good. Now, your former life in the uh, the TAB area of life, I know that no one can just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk like a race caller can when they're talking about the horses going <laughs> to the bird cage and then round of the cage and then back again. Will you be calling on that kind of experience? Did you learn things in that world? Oh, I'm not sure anything can prepare you for this, to be honest. Um, I'm naturally a slow talker, so I think that might put me in good stead. You don't have to say a certain number of words. You just have to keep talking for 26 hours. There's no point going too quickly. That's Actually, that's good thinking. You're already thinking tactically about this uh, <laughs> as, you, as you go. Um, so apart from raising the money, I mean, there's ways you could do it. You could have had in a thon. You could have gone door to door around Parliament, you know, with with the boxes of chocolates. Why why have a go at this, Karen? Well, the bloke that I'm doing with, um, Sam Rossett, has said he came up to me and said, "Hey, I've got an idea. What do you reckon?" And he said it was a charity and asked me which charity I wanted to support, and I couldn't really say no. And, you know, you've got to give these things a go. Nothing nothing gained, and I'm petrified of failing, so we've got to make sure we get it, and it'll be pretty cool in the process, I reckon. Okay, so, and Sam is doing the interview, all 26 yeah. hours of it, or has he, has he got a revolving, you know, like a no. like a bowling rotation? Yeah, they're, they're pretty strict rules, because there's been various attempts, but they uh, haven't met the criteria set by Guinness World Records. You're not allowed a third party to come in and help out, so there's no calling in like talkback or anything like that. So it's just going to be me and Sam. Now, he's a bit of a identity and wide it up and he can talk until the sun goes down which is just as handy really so uh, I, I reckon I've got the right bike to do it with This is going to be amazing once you hit sort of sleep deprivation part where this where this goes to. The 26 hours, yeah. uh, What is what are the rules on resting and you know getting up and just having a stretch? So you've got five minutes an hour where you can take a break but you can also accumulate those so we've been talking tactics. We thought we might try and go for about six hours straight without a break and then we've got half an hour up our sleeve. Um, you know, I was listening to the lead in there about non-alcoholic beers and that was touted as the way to go. You don't, probably don't want to have alcoholic beverages during this. No. But then of course you run the risk of needing a piddle and you could ruin your strategy about taking out your breaks. So, um, you know, there's a bit of pressure here. Yeah, well, I'd, I'd say there is more pressure. It's more than a piddle. Hey, um, so th- th- did you watch Sir Tim Shabolt's, um, you know, interview just to get an idea of what you're in for? No, I don't really have the uh, 26 hours beer to, <laughs> to go through. <laughs> but I actually do remember when he did it. I, I don't know why, but it's just one of those things that when you think back and you remember the images of him uh, finishing off, that was covered on the news at the time. And uh, But the thing is, um, Sir Tim is pretty renowned for having stories and jokes and all those sorts of things. I'm not really known for that sort of stuff, certainly not in the way that he carries on. So... Yeah, and he's, he's got a much fuller life than I do to draw back on stories. So, we, look, we've broken it up into 26 segments. We've got 26 topics, and we're going to go for an hour. We're also being quite tactical. 
we've deliberately picked the night when the Black Caps are playing England over there, so we'll yeah. have eight hours of cricket through the night to keep us entertained, so oh, that'll yeah. help. Oh, <laughs> I like this. You've set the table set to go very quickly. Where can we, where, can we watch any of this? Can we tune in at any time? You can. Uh, Wired Up TV uh, has platforms online on social media and people can watch it live. It's, uh, yeah. and, and if anybody wants to donate, they only have to Google Give a Little Double Guinness and it'll come straight up. And any donation, even just a dollar, it goes to a great cause. Oh, good on you. There we are. Um, thank you very much. Supporting the Rural Support Trust, that is Kieran McAnulty. Uh, McAnulty, sorry, your uh, up MP. Have we, very, have we got quickly, have we got time for the Clayton's ad? We can't? Okay, here's the Clayton's ad. The dog you walk when you're not walking a dog. The dog you tie when you're not tying a dog. The drink you have when you're not having a drink. Clayton's. Mixed over ice with Schweppes dry soda or lemonade. Clayton's is the drink you have when you don't want alcohol. Clayton's. The drink you have when you're not having a drink. Someone in an ad meeting one day went, hmm, I think it needs an oboe. Can you put an oboe in? Is it, no, you clear, okay, clarinet, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Give me the ice cube sound, really get that dog barking, and I want to get the clarinet in at the end. Saxophone guy, you're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, they love their reed instruments, I'll tell you that they do. Uh, Doug in Cambridge is enjoying the show. Good for you, Doug. Um, you can listen to First Up anytime you like on the First Up podcast. Morning Report is next with Susie and Corin. First Up's back in your ears live from 5 tomorrow. Up, up, up.